our competitors that compete in the sport of CrossFit, maybe it's going to ruffle some feathers, are going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Just like if you are a professional football player, a professional basketball player, tennis, horseback riding, badminton, ping pong, or golf, if you're a professional athlete, it's not a matter of when, you're going to sustain an injury. But if you're a recreational golfer, if you're a recreational basketball player, you shouldn't be sustaining injuries. That's a smart approach to the fitness side of things. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking for our regular members. We don't need to be pushing people towards 500-pound deadlifts. If you have regular guys in your gym that are doing 500-pound deadlifts, but they don't yet have under a three-minute fran, you're doing them a disservice if they think they're there for longevity and health. There's going to be a whole lot of things that are outside of your control. Let them go. Let them go. Just focus on what is the best thing I can do. The best thing I can do to maximize my potential. My potential. My potential. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Ben, today we're going to talk about um, something that I know is really sort of uh, at the core of what you do over at CrossFit New England in terms of sort of how you operate things, and that's programming. Uh, and specifically, it is um, the or your opinions about um, sort of the downfalls of what we can call strength-biased programming. Mm -hmm. um, and so just kind of give a little bit of context or, or couch this in one thing, which is sort of the last time we posted or you posted anything on, on your Instagram sort of about this, um, it sort of, it generated a really good, interesting conversation that sort of like stuck out to me as something as worth asking you about. Because I think that from my perspective in that, I, I sort of know where you're coming from and I see what other people respond to. And it feels like people are responding to either not the exact, exactly what you're talking about, or they're sort of talking past each other. So I wanted to take an opportunity to really sort of pick your brain about strength bias programming. So if we maybe want to just start with, uh, and I've heard you talk about this enough, so I sort of know where, where you'll go with it, but maybe start with what happened when strength bias programming, and maybe you can define that yeah. for us, when that sort of came into CrossFit and sort of became, for better or worse, the the sort of de facto, this is how our program for right. CrossFit now. Yeah. So strength bias programming, what it is, so we're on the same page, is when people do a strength lift before a Metcon, and that's the way most affiliates operate now. They do a three rep back squat, and then they do Helen, mm -hmm. or they work up to a heavy clean and jerk, and then they do some EMOM or some AMRAP 10 or something like that. So it's basically putting strength at a priority and putting it first and doing that a lot and then following up with conditioning. At the onset, it looks really good and I agree with it. It's like, why would you not do that? You're getting kind of the best of both worlds right. in terms of strength and conditioning. Your strength when you're fresh and you can get the max, the most out of that. And, and then, then and we, and essentially what we are, we're strength and conditioning gyms. Yep. Why would we not do strength and conditioning? Well, there's a reason that this came to light. It's um, why it came, became popular. And for, for clarity, we at CrossFit New England did this for four years. It's something that I believed in and we did for a long time. And we, we wore it, we wore that shirt really proudly. It came about because of one guy, essentially, Jeff Martin wrote an article called Strength Bias Programming in probably 2009-ish, I would say. And it happened to coincide really well with the rise of the CrossFit Games. Jeff Martin was the um, the creator of Brand X CrossFit and the yep. CrossFit Kids program. And what he was essentially saying is that 
our members aren't strong enough to do the workouts prescribed. If they're not strong enough to do the workouts prescribed, we should get them stronger. And we're not gonna get them stronger by doing the workouts scaled. So we need to get this strength biased approach in there so they can do prescribed workouts. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the CrossFit games took off and these athletes are putting up higher and higher and higher numbers where once you know a female you know the average snatch at the 2009 games was 125 pounds right i remember you know, now it's 200 pounds yep. somewhere around there if i had to guess the average of the games i would guess it's around 190 yep that's an astronomical it's totally different so people are seeing these people get stronger and stronger they're like well if i want to compete i have to be stronger and if i want my athletes to do workouts prescribed they have to get stronger so let's do a lift and then do conditioning so that's where it all came about. And we jumped on board and we did it as well as everybody else. The problem is that the goal is not to get your members to do the workouts prescribed. Mm -hmm. That's not the goal. And the goal is not to get your athletes to compete at the CrossFit Games. So beginning with the wrong end in mind, basically people are climbing these ladders faster and faster and faster, but the ladders are leaning up against the wrong walls. The goal for our affiliates, for our regular members, is not to get them to get compete in the sport of CrossFit. It's not to improve their numbers in the sport of CrossFit or their standing in the open. It's just not for most people. Mm -hmm. It's also not to get your members to be able to do the workouts prescribed. If we take a new person off the street and have them, somebody that has, that can do three pull-ups, three unbroken pull-ups, and can thruster... 115 pounds for one rep max. That person can do Fran prescribed. Mm -hmm. They can. It's going to take them 57 minutes to do it. Right. So if the goal is to do the workouts prescribed, we would over, we, we'd have them do Fran prescribed because they can do it. It's not the goal. The goal is to get the right stimulus for every workout today. Get the right stimulus for the workout today and move on to tomorrow with forgetting about are we chasing towards this prescribed thing? Because it's not the end state that we want to end up at. Mm -hmm. It's just not. The end state we want to end up at is 85 years old, driving a convertible, playing two rounds of golf, and chasing the blondes around the country club. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to be able to do is like live longer, healthier, more productive lives. So there's a, the biggest misconception is these two things. Competitor programming versus regular programming and trying to get our members to do the workouts prescribed versus nailing the stimulus today. Right. So there's a lot of differences between those two. Yeah. Um, do you think that primarily the, the, <clears throat> the confusion, if that's the right word, is that we've sort of confused, not to repeat myself, but we've sort of confused what an athlete needs to do versus what uh, – uh, quote unquote regular member needs to do it's like not yeah but it's not an athlete versus regular member they're all athletes mm -hmm. it's competitor okay versus regular member yep so everyone in our gym is an athlete and everyone walking around the streets is an athlete they just don't know it yet mm -hmm. but the difference is if you think of these are greg glassman's terms here's another thing about it's interesting about strength bias programming is why has main site not jumped on to main to strength bias programming mm -hmm. So do all these affiliates know how to program better than Greg Glassman? For a short while, we thought we did. Yeah. We thought we did. <clears throat> Until we realized that what we we're doing is we were overloading our athletes. Mm -hmm. 
and we weren't able to coach them the way we're supposed to coach them. Greg Glassman knows about strength bias programming. If you look back in the early archives of the CrossFit programming, he did it. He would do heavy lifts followed by conditioning, but he realized it wasn't the right approach for the long term. Mm -hmm. So he went away from it, just like we did as well. He knows the way Katrin trains. He knows the way Matt Frazier trains and Rich Froning. There's a reason that there isn't three or four workouts a day on on, on CrossFit.com. Yeah. And the reason is he's not trying to maximize the stimulus for tomorrow or today. It's for the long term. So there's some major differences between competitors and regular programming. Let me just go through them really quickly. The first one is for your regular members, what we're looking for is GPP, right? And it's not a new term, general physical preparedness. Be good at everything, weak at nothing. It doesn't really matter how good you are peaked out at one thing. What we're looking for is this broad, general, inclusive fitness. You're as fit as your weakest link. Mm -hmm. For competitors, what we need there, there's very set prerequisite numbers you have to hit to compete at a certain level. At the regional level, you have to have certain skills. If you don't have 14 unbroken muscle-ups for guys and nine for girls, you have a really hard time competing at the regionals because you don't have those skills. For strength, if you don't have a 245 snatch and a 300-pound clean jerk for a guy at the regionals, you're going to have a really hard time competing there. You have to have those. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that strength. Otherwise, you can't get there. Now, there's also a fitness thing as well where you have to have under a 225 Fran for fitness. But if you don't have one of those three things, you don't get to compete. Well, in the real world of those three categories, strength, skills, and conditioning, there is no prerequisite strength you have to have. Mm-hmm. There's not like, sorry, you don't get to you don't get to go skiing this weekend because right. you don't have a bodyweight deadlift. Right. Now you can have a harder time if you don't have a bodyweight deadlift for sure. Similarly, it's like, sorry, you can't um, you can't rescue this person from a burning building because you can't do a, a muscle up. You just don't have to have those prerequisite skills or strength. What you do need to have, and what we should be pursuing, is conditioning. Conditioning of the three has the most carryover to good biomarkers, body fat, lean tissue, um, triglycerides, hemoglobin, ferritin levels, iron, vitamin D, fasting glucose, like all the things that we talk about with health markers are more affected by conditioning than there are strength or skills. If you have to have one, the biggest bucket needs to be conditioning. It's also what's going to make you live the longest. Mm -hmm. Take the guy with the world record deadlift. His name is the Mountain from Iceland. He's <laughs> six foot. Se- I know he's six foot seven. He weighs four hundred forty pounds, and he deadlifts close to eleven hundred or over eleven hundred pounds. Now picture the guy with the world record Fran time. I don't know who owns it right now, but let's say it's Dan Bailey. Just mm-hmm. picture Dan Bailey, and you can picture what that guy looks like. Who do you want to look like when you're eighty eight years old? Right. I mean, it's just obvious, right? The mountains, I'm sorry, but the mountain's not going to live to be 88 years old. The wear and tear he's putting on his body to get there is just not going to create longevity. Now, maybe that's too big of an extreme, okay? When you're 58 years old, which of those two is going to have a more functional life? Mm -hmm. The conditioning will win. If you don't like the Dan Bailey example, take an 800-meter sprinter. Who do you want to be there? 800-meter sprinter or the guy in the gym that has the 900-pound back squat? Mm -hmm. Or even the marathoner. Or the marathon, or the other extremes, right? Or the other extremes. Now, I'm not, I don't want anyone to hear this that I'm against strength because right. I'm not. It's a, I've dedicated my life to coaching elite athletes in the sport of CrossFit 
and it's a prerequisite and I geek out about the barbell and there's a lot of lessons to be learned under the barbell and the steel never lies and linear progressions are insanely challenging both physically and mentally and the strength adaptations and the anaerobic capacity and the tendons and ligaments and the lean tissue you get from strength are phenomenal and undebatable. Mm -hmm. I'd still choose conditioning. If I had to choose one or the other, I'd choose that. Our competitors lift every single day. They touch a barbell every single day. Lifting is a huge component of what they do. Our regular members do not because they don't need to. They don't need, here's, here's what, I, my, my, what I give to some people I'm talking to about this. Go look at your leaderboard or the stats of your gym. How many guys in your gym have over a 450 pound deadlift? How many guys in your gym have under a 245 Fran? Whichever you have more of is what you're biasing. Mm-hmm. If you have nine guys that can deadlift 500 pounds, but you only have one guy with a 73 minute Fran, you are a strength biased gym and you're, dis, you're not delivering what you're promising you're delivering to your regular members. Right. That's the key there. Competitors are a different ball game. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one is this <clears throat> three-headed monster strength, skills, and conditioning versus the GPP. The next one is... What these are Greg Glassman's words, and I love them. I use them probably more than I should because <laughs> my coaches actually like they they is second wave, first, second, and third wave adaptations. Yep. So what this means is, if you take this example of a of a fourteen year old kid that wants to go out for the football team and needs to get stronger, he's fourteen years old, he's six foot one and one hundred forty five pounds, soaking wet. He's never seen a barbell before. He comes in because he wants to get stronger and go out for the football team next year. You put him on the bench press and you start him with a linear progression. He does five sets of five with the empty 45-pound barbell. We can all visualize what that scrawny kid's going to look like. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the wobbly thing. It's all over the place. It actually <clears throat> hits the rack on the way up. It's, okay, that's good. He comes back in two days later and you have him do it two days later. And all of a sudden, the bar path straightened out. There's a nice little pause at the top. And then he's going right through it. By day four or five, he's got 65 pounds on the bar and he's going up. By the end of the first month, he's at 95 or 115 pounds. That's first wave adaptation. That's really fast gains. That's mostly neurological and just getting better at the specific movement. Mm-hmm. That's not going to make him a better football player. It's going to make him better at bench press. Second wave adaptation is take that same kid. And instead of going, he goes from 115 all the way up to 225 takes him six months to get there, the whole off season. But at the end of that six month program, he's benching five by five at 225. That's going to make him a better football player. Yep. He is stronger. He is better at moving external loads. He's not going to, he's better. Yep. Now he starts to geek out about the bench press. He you know, he still only weighs 145 pounds. He can bench five. He's like, I could be really good at this. So he starts working with bench shirts mm-hmm. and board presses and figuring out how to excellently rotate the bar on the negative and start to spread the bar on the eccentric. That's third wave adaptation. He's going to get a lot better at the bench press, but that getting better at the bench press doesn't translate to the football field. Mm -hmm. That's a third wave adaptation. Our competitors are looking and searching and working really hard for third wave adaptations. That's the sport they compete in. They compete in the sport of bench press. Mm -hmm. They have to geek out about how to cycle through box jumps. They have to geek out about how to run up to the barbell, grab it really quickly, and snatch it overhead. Our regular members don't live in that world. Mm -hmm. Our regular members are looking for a fitness that is only, this is a big thing, only if it's transferable to the outside world. 
if they're becoming better CrossFitters, the programming's off. Mm-hmm. The coaching is off because it's not going to make them, it's not going to lower their triglycerides. It's not going to get them to rescue people from burning buildings better. It's going to make them better at our sports. What we're trying to do for our regular members is this second wave adaptation, which is purely everything is focused on the everyday life. And I already explained, we'd rather have the fit guy than the mountain guy. And the last big major difference is win. And it sounds, our regular members, what they're looking for is they're shooting, when they need to be fit is 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. I want every member, regardless if they start with me on 15 or 55, to be fitter in 10 years than they are right now. That's a low trajectory towards a distant horizon. <clears throat> for Katrin, I need her to be fit and peaked out August 1st. Right. So the trajectory is totally different. The volume is totally different. The approach is totally different. The risk is totally different. Yeah. Our competitors that compete in the sport of CrossFit, maybe this is going to ruffle some feathers, are going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Just like if you are a professional football player, a professional basketball player, tennis, horseback riding, badminton, ping pong or golf, if you're a professional athlete, it's not a matter of when, you're going to sustain an injury. But if you're a recreational golfer, if you're a recreational basketball player, you shouldn't be sustaining injuries. That's a smart approach to the fitness side of things. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking for our regular members. We don't need to be pushing people towards 500 pound deadlifts. If you have regular guys in your gym that are doing 500 pound deadlifts, but they don't yet have under a three minute fran, you're doing them a disservice if they think they're there for longevity and health. If they're there to get stronger, you're doing a great job. Yep. If they're there because they want to have bigger muscles, you're doing a great job. But if you're telling them that CrossFit is powerful because it pushes off the nursing home, but that's not the way you're programming, you're misguided in your approach. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> do you is that short enough answer for you yes we're done yeah now. yeah <laughs> do you have you found because you went through four or five years of the sort of the strength bias stuff or the or the let's get strong and then yep have did you find or do you find that members have an issue with this idea of like doing less strength work yeah. because and i and i sort of asked that because in some ways you can tell when you're getting stronger or rather you can tell yep. my back squat is 10 pounds heavier than it was three months let's ago. Go through and a, let's do the hatch cycle. Let's do a yeah. small loft junior. And let's it's a do little, a little bit harder to figure out like, am I getting fitter? Yep. Am I, am I getting my, am I moving towards that direction of, am I going to be fitter or healthier in 10 years? You know, that's harder to, mm-hmm. that's harder to know yourself versus a back squat or yep. a, anything you know yeah so, so so how do you how do you sort of deal with that absolutely because because it comes down to a, a a degree of patience that you have to instill in your members for them to understand that there's a reason you're doing it this way and this is the reason why yeah the second major reason we so the first reason we do it is this differentiation between competitors and, and our our regular members that's a huge one the next one is our responsibilities coaches if we if we're doing the example I give, if if you go in the gym and do a five by five back squat, legitimately do a five by five back squat, 
from the time that you start to the time you finish, just time that. See how long that took you to do that. Now, let's also add in a group dynamic warm-up. Let's also put in a explanation of the workout. And let's also put in a breakdown and warm up or explanation or movement prep for a conditioning set after that. Yep. Nobody, if they're going in the gym, open gym, and they're doing it on their own, nobody legitimately does a legitimate five by five and a conditioning set in under 90 minutes. Agreed. It doesn't happen. Yep. So if you're going to try and smush that 90 minutes into 60, you're essentially just trying, you're not coaching anymore. You're just managing movements. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to get people to get through it. Yep. That the goal is to check the boxes. Yep. It's Everything's no longer- on the whiteboard and I've got to get all I that I got to get through it, yep. right? And it's, there's no longer <clears throat> any sort of like, what can I do to improve this? So it's the way we went about this when we laid it out to our members and we had done it for three or four years, people had become really ingrained with this strength bias. And I'm not going to kid it. People like it. Yeah. People like strength bias programming. The unfortunate side of it is it's not the approach for longevity. Mm-hmm. It's not the approach to maximize your fitness. To throw it in every now and then, which is what we do. We had Today we did that. Today, our workout today was work up to a heavy push press. Work up, I'm sorry, a heavy, work up to a five rep press, a three rep push press, and a one rep jerk, followed by an AMRAP eight mm-hmm. of bike and sit-ups. That's classic, classic strength bias programming. Yep. It's what we do maybe once every 10 days. We'll also intermix just a heavy day in there, just a heavy day. Mm-hmm. So we know what that looks like. And we want that. So we, I want everybody to hear this. We do lift heavy, Yeah. but it's very in line with what Greg Glassman has said for his approach to concentrated functional movements performed at relatively high intensity. Yep. It's his approach to let's expand the bucket and get as much variance in this program as possible with all these multimodalities. It's his approach to longevity and pushing off the nursing home. So if members love it, so like it a lot, and they do, and they've created this habit, which they like, we had to explain to them why we were making the shift. And the way we made that explanation was my last two answers. Here's the reason why. Mm-hmm. And we talked about three-headed monsters versus GPP. We talked about the uh, low trajectory towards the distant horizon, and we talked about second and third wave adaptations. Then we layered the whole thing on. We finished it off with... This, the major reason we're doing this is because we feel like we're going to have a better opportunity to coach you. Now, here's the reason that a lot of gyms don't do this. They don't know how to fill up the rest of that hour. Yep. It's so much easier to do a big, long warm-up, including you know thousands of meters of rowing and running and wall balls that eats up 15 minutes. And then put another section in there, 15 minutes of working up to a run, relax, clean, and jerk. And then another 20-minute AMRAP. There's your class and you have every minute accounted for. Yep. You know what that sounds a lot like? Cardio boot camp that you saw at the Globo Gyms. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Except now we have functional movements and a little more load. That's it. What I would much rather do is let's go with some virtuosity. Let's do the common uncommonly well. So let's, when we do our workouts, we will do three rounds of the workout in our warm-up. So if we're doing something, let's say we do a really simple workout like... Uh, Clean and jerks, um, like, like an open workout that showed up a few years, which was power cleans, is five power cleans, 10 toes of bars, and 15 wall balls. Yep. The way we'll go through that is warm up each of those movements, nuanced with some specific technique, one major takeaway for each movement. 
Then after we go through that in all of the regular general warmup and all the specific warmup before we start, we'll do what most of our top athletes will do, which is run through a couple small little modified circuits of that, trying to control your heart rate, keep it down under check so we're not moving through it fast. Your body has to learn how to transition from movement to movement. We allow them to do that in the class. As we're going from movement to movement, we give them coaching cues and pointers. We tell them exactly what the scaling weight's supposed to be. And I know that most people are listening to this are like, yeah, of course we do as well. But what we'll do is if we're doing that, we'll do let's do one power clean. Let's do three toes to bars and let's do five wall balls. Ready? Everyone, one power clean. Three, two, one, go. Okay, everybody find their spot on the pull-up rig. Let's do three toes to bars. Okay, three toes to bars. Okay, now here's what I was looking for on the toes bars. What we want is more active engagement of the of the hips and more of a hollow position. Okay, now let's everybody find their spot on the wall ball. Okay, let's do five wall balls and we're looking for there is hands three quarters of the way down, elbows in and up. Okay, how do we feel with that? Is that the appropriate weight? Is this the right approach? Did you, let's move you over here. Okay, let's do that again. One, three, five, and go. And we might go through that two, three, four iterations, give them another three minute break, and then we start the workout. The short answer to that is we use the opportunity to refine movements and get them more prepped for the actual workouts. Less is more. Yeah. Did you get the sense, um that your members that it took your members a little while for them to appreciate that shift because i can imagine that when you go from class starts do some squats yeah. warm up for the workout get ready go fall yeah, on the so floor immediately, and it's over no one likes change immediately yeah. so there's always going to be pushback and there's but we tried to communicate as much as we could and what we started to see was a little less of the nicks bumps and bruises the little nagging injuries that people yeah. tend to have and what we saw a lot of was people were starting to get bigger sets of pull-ups. Mm. All of a sudden, they weren't that scared of sets of 100 burpees. All of a sudden, they, you know, we started, their conditioning went way up. Yeah. And if conditioning, think of the theoretical development of an athlete, right? This is Greg Glassman's thing. The theoretical development of an athlete is nutrition is the most important thing. And I, we'll talk about nutrition at length soon. The next one is Jim, is Metcon. Moving your body through space. I'm sorry. Is is um, is your ability to move at a high heart rate? That's what we're talking about here. Yep. Fitness is the base of it. Then moving your body through space with gymnastics. Then weightlifting and finally sport. What people are doing, they're doing strength bias programming, is they're putting the second least important thing first. We just like to start the foundation. 